Welcome to this episode of the Disrupt Education Podcast. Allie Privet, how are you? What's going on in your world today? It looks like we kind of got the same kind of yeah pattern going on here. This is nice for you. Yes, for the YouTubers. Yeah. I guess we are kind of matching in it's our snuggled. own way. Yeah, it's winter time. So, yeah. you know, bundled up. I cannot tell you how excited I am personally for this episode. I want to hype it up as much as possible, as early as possible, so that the listeners um feel that energy. Because I, I will say this episode is kind of going to be near and dear to my heart. Um, because I went on this whole journey with social media this past year. If you've listened to the podcast at all, follow the journey. I like took a big social media break um, this summer, which started as the month and it really hasn't stopped. Um, and so it was actually not long after I decided to kind of really trim back on just being online mm-hmm. and being more in person that Peter started talking about our guest to me and I was like we have to get him on the podcast so that's that's where I'm at right now Peter (laughs) hyped so this guest actually came into the classroom um, and worked with every single one of my students so kudos to you Josh Shuba who is here with us in the uh we're not really in a studio, but he's here. Um, we'll call it a studio. Why not? Um, but uh, yeah, Josh, uh, you uh, have done some amazing work. Um, let's start with who you are and what you studied in college, and then we'll dive into why we're so geeked about this episode. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, my name is Josh. I did just graduate from college this last Friday with my degree in psychology. We got it. We did yeah, it. Congrats. Um, thank you so much. It, it was really uh, an interesting ride. And I think that'll definitely come up in today's conversation mm-hmm. uh, in the realm of education. But really what I was doing outside of that, you know, I was a student by day and I was a creator by night or by morning. Uh, what I've been doing for the last several months is talking about social media and our digital habits and, and my own experience with that and really trying to help people develop some solid mental health habits and ideas around the digital age, uh, which has presented some really interesting interesting and sudden challenges for my age group in particular. And what I found is just by sharing my authentic experience, I resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people are really struggling with these things. And you know, I know you guys have a really interesting perspective as educators. You've seen this up close and personal, and you can feel it in your own lives as well, like you point out, Allie, to the point where you need to start implementing your own uh, practices to step away. So I have lots of ideas around that. I've had the opportunity to explore it digitally. I even made it part of my my capstone project as uh, an honor student at the school. And so I've really devoted a lot of time to this thing. And I'm excited to share it with you guys today. How did you like, I want to back the train up a little bit because, you know, you're, you're on um, your Gen Z, right? Um, And you grew up in a digital, digital world. And, you know, now you're talking about how you went to college and you studied psychology, which I feel like that coalescence right there has to be super interesting, like learning psychology in the last four years versus what like my friends were taking psychology classes or Peter's friends were taking psychology classes in college. But like for you, when did you notice that the internet and social Mm -hmm. media was having an effect on your own life? Yeah. It's one of those interesting things where, um, Myself and a lot of my peers have known about it for years and years. 
It's just almost part of the culture. It's part of the zeitgeist. Oh, we're scrolling all the time. We can't help it. And it's just like a very casual thing. Um, I think the first time where I decided to address it as a real problem and say something about it and then maybe try and implement some changes, that was very recent. That was only like March of this year. Um, mm. And that was after seeing it really impact my personal life, my relationships. Um I was, to your point, well ingrained in this culture and this machine by that point. I mean, this is years. I got my first smartphone when I was 14, which is significantly uh, older than a mm -hmm. lot of the kids I talked to with Peter um, at Stag High School, right? Th these kids mm -hmm. were 10 or 11 when they got their phones. That was one of the first questions I asked them. I was 14, but you know, either way, these are formative years. Um, I was very much entrenched in what I would call something like an addictive cycle by the time that I started talking about this. And then I was really actually surprised to see how much resonance it got when I first put it out there. Um, you know, but this is, it, I would say, shockingly recent to answer your question. Mm. It, it was, I think what's interesting is I felt like because we started connecting right after you, you came to this kind of epiphany, if you, if you will, sure. um, and you knew it right away. Like it was, it was your, your thing. Talk a little bit about, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but the post, right? Yeah, there yeah. was a post. There was a post. Yeah. That's why it played such a pivotal role in the talk that I gave. Um, it, I had in March of this year, what I would call the first creative epiphany of my life, um, which sounds super fancy. Really all it was is I was reading some Carl Jung on the train, right? The psychologist. And I had this idea come to me about, the state of our technological culture. Uh, I was, I, I, you know, that was probably the moment, Ali, where I realized like this is something that needs to be talked about. And so for the first time in my life, I had a message that I needed to share. I had always wanted to share something. I'd wanted to be creating content. That was a, a natural desire before I had anything really meaningful to say. But then I had something to share. I ran home, I threw my backpack down. I like had a meeting that I skipped and I just ranted into my phone for three minutes, which is you know not always the best content, but it was so raw and so authentic and so off the top of my head um, that I, you know, I think that was part of the reason it, it performed well, because what I found is more than anything I'd ever put out there, this thing really got some traction. It was the first thing I had made that got tens of thousands of views. It really, more importantly, opened up a conversation around this. And suddenly people were, were talking about it. And that led me to make a follow-up video that did even better in terms of views. Although I think that even how I just articulated that, we should probably unpack that. You know, I'm not sure how much views and, and sort of metrics like that really mean success. But anyway, from my perspective at the time, it was like, whoa, this is really something. Um, and and that was, I would say, the catalyst for following it over the next, I mean, th this whole year, really. I, I love that the epiphany came from reading a book, right? Yeah. <laughs> you weren't, That's right. That's good. <laughs> you weren't plugged in um, to the machine, so to speak. So Peter and I talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, with students, um, how, like helping how do we address you know student concerns or you know getting students to engage with school because they are you know from sun up to sundown beyond they have this screen that can entertain them yeah. much more than well than they think real life interactions yeah and so like what you know, like you, you have a very unique, you know, uh, role as a creator who's trying to get people off of the internet. Right. So yeah. what have you found, mm -hmm. you know, like 
is as it's kind of grown from that initial start has been successful in maybe conversations that you've had with people that has kind of developed this humanizing the internet. That's your kind of catchphrase. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and that's really the root of it right there. Um, the first idea I had that really resonated with people was not deleting the apps, not deleting TikTok, not taking this abstinence-based approach, but learning how to flow with the technology in a way that was human and that did support us psychologically and maybe give us something of a meaningful relationship with social media. Um, and I realized that when I when I really looked at the problem and, and realized that there were a lot of groups already and a lot of adults who were saying, delete social media, you got to get off the phone. And, and I think that there's definitely some wisdom to that because we're looking at a really scary development. This is a, you know, a lot of development, very, very fast, I would argue, to the point that we're not prepared for it psychologically. But the reality is, as far as I'm aware, this isn't going away. The technology is not going away. Social media is ingrained into our current culture, and that simply is where all the attention is. Um, and so... For me, I was thinking in that very first video, what does it actually look like to have a human internet? And that brought me to the idea of creation and curation. And that was really what I shared in this first video. The first thing I said was your attention has been stolen from you. And I sort of went into this base truth around um, you know, how tech companies are designed to monetize your attention span and reduce your conscious experience to advertising dollars. And I was obviously very passionate and, 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 and enraged about it, honestly. Uh, but then I, I tried to get to solutions very quickly because I understand that my generation is fairly disillusioned at this point. And we see a lot of content about climate change and negativity. And so there's a certain air of um, hopelessness, I think. I think it's very easy for people to turn off, uh, you know, in my age, because we're just drowning in it. And so let's see, can we get a solution in front of people to just start turning the optimistic cogs, possibly? Curation and creation was the first idea. You can be a creator, you can share your experience authentically through the internet and in the process become an intentional user of technology or in the same sense or similar sense, you can be a curator. If you don't wanna share yourself, if you don't wanna share your story, you can be a librarian or an archivist in, an, in a media uh, environment of infinite content. We need people to organize all the information. So this looks like packaging up videos and, and all kinds of different content into playlists so that it can be easier and more efficiently consumed by these users, students of the internet. Um, and so in that sense, then you learn to use the internet intentionally. You're, you're providing some form of value, whether it's through your own ideas or the organization of others' ideas. That was the first idea I had. Um, and, and I think that that to me is more, that to me, Ali, it seems more realistic than an abstinence approach of everyone needs to minimize or, or be a minimalist about social media. Although, you know, as Peter will remember in my, in my talk, I, I present three archetypes, right? The, mm -hmm. the creator and the curator, as I've just laid out. And then the last, or the first one, as I presented is the challenger. And that's someone typically a little bit older who does not want to be on social media and truly wants to minimize their use. I think if, if it's not in your DNA or in your interest to be on social media, then being a minimalist is just fine as well. So distinguishing which of those traits, you know, between them all fit for you, I think allows all of us to have an individual and meaningful relationship to social media. That's sort of been the, the base idea I've been rolling with. I, I like this because um, actually, um, and Josh, we haven't spoken um, that much since uh, you came to the class, but the students are actually just one time the students are using those terms, like stop being a, a consumer, right? I said it all the time. But when you bring a hip young dude in, Allie, it kind of works, you know, so but 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 it is it, it does resonate. It was almost like somebody took a magic wand in the in, in the classroom and talked to the students about everything that I'm trying to tell them around their phone. 
Um, Maybe it's because I'm a Gen Xer, maybe I'm old, whatever. I'm there every day, you know, I get all that. And I I don't take offense to it, you know, I've got thick skin. I'm a high school (laughs) teacher for crying out loud. But um, I I think, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Josh, a little bit, kind of after seeing that um, and after, you know, uh, some interaction, we did, we did, uh, you know, a few things with where the students kind of gave some feedback and such. How do you see this interacting in a system of education? Um, You know, I know we're, we're looking at innovative ways to do the system differently. It's got several faults, blah, 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 whatever. How do, how do you see social media and phones yeah. working with education? How do you see that? It's a great question. I'm really glad you asked because um, I'm, I'm actually bringing this for the first time to some schools in January. So we're going to get it on its feet, but nice. you're ahead of the curve. We're, we're looking to use these very powerful tools uh, to integrate with the whatever education process is happening in the classroom. So we have to accept that this is some of the most powerful technology to hijack our brains and our attention, but it also presents some really interesting creative opportunities for people to express themselves and to create something that that people will see. If if we accept the fact that attention is on TikTok right now or on Instagram or on social media, it's, that's where the attention is. Then by learning how to create content that is engaging uh, and that and that has some type of meaningful message, then we can actually increase the the value that's on those platforms. So it's not so much cheap, very shallow entertainment. So what this might look like is if you're teaching a business class or an entrepreneurship class, this is teaching your future entrepreneurs the very valuable and very lucrative skill of content creation so that then they can present themselves in that medium and engage with the technology meaningfully, post themselves. I don't think posting has to be a part of the process, but learning how to create the videos uh, I think is. I think that's accepting the future that that's this that's how information is processed these days, right? You're more likely to have a TikTok get a hundred thousand views than to post, you know, like a really long, hard to access educational video. It's like mm-hmm. we have to accept where the attention is, and so if we can teach kids how to do it that way, then we can make that fundamental shift from consumer to creator. I think this could work. I mean, again, this it's all kind of theoretical right now, but we're going to see what it looks like in classroom. We're going to see what it looks like to try and create a collaborative environment there where kids are actually engaging with each other and like making a 30 second video about that classroom's curriculum. Um, and then suddenly you have a you have the um, the creative project feel that you would want when you assign a group project in the classroom with kids who are using their phones in that way. I think that the other point there, because this is all theoretical, I just want to be aware of it. Um, there is a lot of built in, I don't know about danger, but risk in posting and engaging in this mm-hmm. in this environment because it's so geared to hijack our social dynamics, right? Like the parts of us that respond to notifications and the red alerts, like that's all a risk. And that's part of, we have to redesign the platforms themselves. My focus has obviously been on the human stuff because that's what we have control over, but we have to redesign the platform so that they're more humane and actually respect our time and attention. Um, but the skill set of learning content, being able to communicate that way within the classroom, I think is a really compelling way to meld the two worlds together so that you're not always fighting for attention and having to put phones in a box and to actually you know, show kids that you are thinking about the world that they're familiar with. You're speaking their language and suddenly everyone gets what they want. It's interesting being part of a generation where I feel like there was a clear divide of technology and being off of technology versus all students that are in school right now. Technology is all the way in every part of their mm-hmm. their existence. And mm-hmm. to your point of of saying, like, we're not going to get rid of it. It's. Mm-hmm 
ingrained, but how do we use it? And it, it feels like what you're saying is like, you're, you're trying to almost like fight the, the, the dragon that's right in front of you. Like this, I mean, you're not trying to skirt around it. You're not trying to detour. You're like, look, this is the place where people want to spend their time so one let's bring awareness to like what that time and attention is doing and i think that's why your message resonates so much with young people is mm-hmm. that you're you're a splash that is different mm-hmm. in a positive way i mean if people don't like, like follow you and whatnot and you want something different on your feed and you want to be a curator as you call it like 100 yeah. <laughs> percent, they need to they need to follow you um but like what how did your education experience you know kind of maybe how do you see how it shifted from high school to college like you're a recent Mm -hmm. graduate you know and and you've been ingrained in technology so what would you what would you say has been kind of your experience with maybe coming to consciousness with it versus before, you know, what what did school look like versus it really seems like you've taken education into your own hands and now are like going forward with it in a probably a direction you didn't anticipate. So would love to hear that. No, that's exactly right. I absolutely did not anticipate this. Um, I was traditionally always a good student. Um, Like I did well, I would say that the modern education system was set up for people like me to achieve. And, and to do well with it. I come from a lot of privilege. I don't have any particular uh, learning complications or anything that makes it difficult. And I, I responded well, like I, I just have always had good grades. What I found when I got to college is there was a complete lack of inspiration. There was a complete, and I was not expecting that. I was looking for excitement and real drive. I was like, yeah, let's study psychology. I was a communications major before that. There were so many exciting things on the table. And for whatever reason, I was never stimulated by it. I've given that a lot of thought over the last four plus years as to why that may have happened. Um, but one way or the other, it it really did not engage me the way I wanted it to and that I was I was leaned in, I was ready for it. And so this uh, internet content creation, uh, developing my voice and sharing it online has been the vehicle for self-education, self-development, voice and message development that I did not get in university that I was specifically looking for. Um, and so... And then that opened my eyes to like, wow, okay, so if this isn't working for me, a traditionally good student, someone who the system is set up for, I can't even imagine what that's like for people who are differently abled or who have special learning considerations or just anyone who needs a disrupted education to thrive. Um, I, it really opened my, up my eyes to the future of education and this idea of um, um, a creator economy that is built around helping people get that that what a liberal arts education is meant to give you right this sort of eye-opening mind expanding experience opening yourself up to new ideas and developing the skill sets to engage with them that's what i see happening with the internet and i think one of the reasons that again i i'm not as well versed with this stuff as you guys are but what i see as a student is there's a lot of i mean you you get into the higher education environment right now and it doesn't it really speak to the reality of the world. It doesn't speak to the reality of the internet and all of this stuff. And it's like, those two things are very separate right now in a way where they really shouldn't be. I'm sure not all courses are like that. I'm sure you find professors and thinkers who are very much tapped in to that world. But for me, what I found in my final years of school, as I was suffering through statistical methods and things that really did not speak to me at all on an inspirational level, but were necessary for me to get my degree to, you know, tick off the box. What I found is that the internet gave me that, um, 
mind-opening experience uh, and that liberal arts education was actually looking for. So that's where I sort of had to do them both. Um, I think the more optimal future is an integration of those things. Not necessarily the future of education is all online. Everyone drop out of college and follow your favorite influencer. I think it's probably like all good things, a combination of both schools of thought. I love this this conversation, by the way, I love it because we're all in the sandbox here. We're all like, yeah. these are theories. And this, honestly, what I love about you know what you're doing, Josh, this is real learning, right? This is this is actually like just being vulnerable enough to say, yeah, th this could work. I I'm let's go, let's go try it. And I think this is what Ali and I love about, you know, the concept of you actually working with schools and such, yeah. um, because this is where we, no one's going to remember like the, the third math test, right? <laughs> People are going to remember, Hey, let's try this in math. And this is going to be something crazy and, you know, science or, or whatever, whatever we're looking at. Yeah. I wanted to to ask a quick question here, and this is a little yeah. well. I guess it's not really off topic, but are kids in college doing the same thing as they were in high school? Are they scrolling in classrooms? Are they like what was your experience? I should say not everywhere, but like, did you sure. see kids in class like you know being distracted? Yeah, speaking just from personal experience, I'm sure there's a lot of data around this stuff that I, I don't have access to, but I did see a lot of that. I, I would say that the learning environment was very comparable to my experience in high school, where wow. it was, at least for me and for a lot of my peers, kind of this like disillusioned, um, uh, disaffected air of, I'm just trying to get through this class so that I can get the degree, so that I can get the job. Um, and obviously with that lack of inspiration, and the survival mindset around school where all that matters is getting the grades so I can get to the next milestone. Scrolling and distraction was was all over the place. Now, granted, there were people who didn't fall into that. I, I think at UIC, there's a certain culture of, um, uh, there's a hardworking energy about it. The people who go to UIC are typically commuters who work a lot. And so th that's a bit of an anomaly in, in that I saw a lot of people who were very hard workers and who were leaned into lectures in a way that I, it was new to me. I mean, I, I came into, I had my first in-person lectures at UIC, like well after COVID, because so that had a big role to play and that's right. something else. But <laughs> um, I, I saw a lot of people who were leaned in, who uh, I would say seemed like the traditional model of a good student, right? They were asking good questions and they were really engaged, found that to be very inspiring. But by and large, across all four years of school, some of which included online learning, which you guys probably talk about a lot. There was a lot of checking out for myself as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'll be straight yeah. up. Like, I didn't, I was not, when I was in class, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I was doing with my content. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I was going to read and explore outside of classes because what I found in class to be irrelevant and I was, you know, good enough to just get the grade. So I was doing that as well. Um, I, and that's what led to these ideas that, you know, the current way education is done doesn't speak to that level of inspiration. It doesn't speak to the reality of the internet. It doesn't speak to what people are able to do um, and, and how they might be able to learn independently. If you had this epiphany, like yeah. halfway through your freshman year, would you have done yeah. education different? Like, would you, would you have, like, would you have like tried to connect it, everything that you're learning to it? I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a tough question to answer. It is, but. It is a tough question. I, I immediately, when you ask that, Peter, I'm thinking like, would I have thought to drop out and do something else? Or go um, deeper. In, you right, know, or go I, deeper. Yeah. I think probably like to answer it realistically, I would have stayed in school and mm -hmm. I would have tried to integrate it with my learning like I did for the last stretch of senior year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just personally how I'm wired. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that 
you know, that's the whole idea, right? There's a lot of different ways to do this and everyone's going to have their own individual path. Um, That's probably what I would have done. Even though I'm hearing that, you know, classes, you know, maybe weren't the most inspiring places for you uh, in terms of, you know, getting your attention. Yeah. What is your, you know, how do you feel about like in-person learning versus online learning and, and in terms of, you know, like your generation, like going through it right now, um, is there still a place for in-person, not over a screen connection? Personally, and it's just for me here, absolutely essential, not even close. In-person learning is a far superior human experience. Um, and I, I just, what does it actually look like? I was 100% more engaged in every in-person class that I was in. Um, I looked forward to going, like it felt like something to do. Anytime I had an online class, it just felt like a little calendar event to get through. Uh, I didn't really feel real, right? I think we, I think we've experienced a lot of that, all of us. Um, I also would say that a lot of that um, utilitarian approach to schooling and that I just need to get this so I can get to the next milestone. For me, a lot of that came from COVID and online learning because it was literally that was, I mean, that was the setup, right? You attend a certain number of classes for the attendance portion of the grade and you submit your assignments via Canvas or Blackboard. And you, and it's a little video game that isn't fun and that you get a little thing for. Um, that was that was how, and, and I got dopamine from that, right? It was rewarding to get a good grade. That's part of me being just a good student in that, like that that was a, a meaningful thing for me, but it wasn't inspiring at all. Um, and it I would say that it probably uh, cast a shadow over all of the in-person learning I did post COVID is I still kind of had that, that feeling about it. It was, there's, I did not escape it. It wasn't this eye-opening experience as soon as in-person came back, but I would say that in-person is crucial. Um, any type of online learning experience that I've been a part of and that I'd like to offer for my audience in the future is going to be as much as possible recreating the experience of in-person learning. And then it's still not a replacement. I think you still need the in-person element. That's why I think your, your uh, retreats are so cool, right? Like that's, I would imagine part of the um, energy you have there is you need to bring people into a physical space. There is a biological and neurochemical, magical, unmeasurable quality about that, that absolutely cannot be ignored, especially in the digital age where we're confined to this environment so much of the time. Who do you think is the most needed? Who, who, what maybe it's a target market question from a business guy, right? <laughs> who who do you think is the most important to get your message across to? And follow that up with like, what are maybe two or three basic things that you try to get across um, yeah. in in a in a presentation in front of those people? Hundred percent. Well, I so I think right off the bat. I think about the kids. I think about people under 18. I think about people who are subjected to this experience without choice, who were just put into the system and given cell phones and left to fend for themselves. And maybe themselves aren't even asking the right questions around that. So that comes to mind right away. What I found though, is that with my content, I've reached people of all ages Mm -hmm. because there's plenty of Gen Xers and millennials and everyone in between who are tired of scrolling and who have fallen into addictive habits. People who got through high school and college without cell phones or smartphones and then got sucked into the thing all the same as the 14 year olds. And so they're in this as well. I I found that that part of the message reaches a lot of people, but I think in terms of urgency, immediately, I think of people who are younger, right? That that's more of like a red alert emergency thing where it's like, we we need to get through to them first. But I think that this message is also applicable to businesses. I could see a very similar keynote being brought to high schools as well as 
different startups or things like that. Although I think the value prop changes and that for kids, it's more about developing a, a, you know, a different approach lifelong. Whereas for businesses, there can be a little bit more of a business or ROI perspective in that creating content is actually very good for business. And if you can learn that skill set, not only will you redesign your relationship, but you could also create assets for, that's a whole different conversation, but I think that's exciting as well. Um, and then I'm, will you, will you remind me of the second part? Yeah, just like maybe two or three of your top yeah. things that you are, yeah. you get across when you speak to groups. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think the, uh, one part of it is being able to very concisely define the problem. Uh, you have groups like the Center for Humane Tech, a uh, lot of really powerful advocacy, advocacy groups who have been trailblazers in this issue. I think they spend a lot of time diagnosing the problem very, very clearly. Uh, and there's not a lot of solutions in there. So anyway, just being able to define the problem in terms that the group understands. So translating it to a high school class versus a middle school class versus a college class and identifying the pain points that are relevant to each one of those groups. Very similar, but probably with slight tweaks. Um, that's probably point number one, the idea that, you know, you were put into a technology information economy that you were not prepared for. It was designed specifically to exploit you. This is extractive technology turned to convert you and your conscious experience into advertising dollars. This is not built for your success and it's designed like this. So fundamentally, all of the negative feelings you have and the resistance you feel is not your fault. And I think that idea has really resonated with people because they're drowning in self-improvement content that's like, you need to be more disciplined. You need to carry the boats. And it's like, okay, that's great. And discipline is awesome. And I totally believe in it. I love it but you weren't built for this. It was built exactly to extract you. Um, so that's idea number one. Idea number two would get into the solutions of how we do this. So you obviously have to reduce a little bit, but you have to, I, you know, I, I go, always go back to replacement. So I, I find that the idea of addition is so much more powerful than subtraction. So with some of the people I've worked with in this, um, I've been able to reduce people's screen time without ever actually focusing on it. We just add in more things to do instead uh, and, and get real good dopamine and meaningful engagement and creative fulfillment um, through basic practices that we build in with basic habit building and you know coaching type strategies. And that that is very effective. So it's this addition-based, excitement-based, fun-based approach to adding in new things that completely eliminates the guilt and the shame and the self-criticism that ultimately just pushes people back into self-soothing. Right. If you're operating from a place of I'm not good enough all the time and you know you need to change your life, you're constantly thinking about that, you're just going to keep falling back on the same things that, you know, turn your brain off. Um, and then lastly, um, I think and I need to talk about this more, but community is huge. A lot of what I've talked about so far has been fairly individualistic. What can you do for your life to fix your life, to pursue something better? I think the next step for me and for all of us is to look at the, look at the fact that this is a collective issue and understand that community is probably one of the most powerful antidotes we have to the addictive isolation that we've been trapped in. And so I think that that means doing what we're doing right now, opening up the conversation, putting together both digital and in-person spaces like what Ali's doing to have people come together as humans and experience some of that some of the community that we've been completely deprived of in the digital age. Um, you know, we can talk about the complete uh, dissolution of third spaces, right? And this idea that people are never together anymore besides when it's work or at home. Um, so some of those ideas I think need to come through. And that's, that's I think, probably part of my next evolution as a creator. Ali, you're I, queen dopamine, I'll tell you, because you uh, actually have people in a community jumping out of planes. That's, I'm just gonna leave that there. Wow, I had no, <laughs> that's really cool. Oh my yeah. goodness. 
Yes, skydiving is the ultimate dopamine hit. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even imagine. If you ever find yourself needing that kind of community, Josh, you just come up yeah. to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, Skydive Wasoda, and I'm working on becoming an instructor for this 2024 season to help um, people be able to experience their first solo skydive. And it's, you know, not, it, it really does add to kind of what you're talking about in that you know i and and i I know i'm not alone (laughs) and then peter and i talk about this all the time Mm with seeking out authentic experiences and and places where you can be disconnected and it doesn't feel like you're you're losing anything so to your point about this addition instead of subtraction I knew I was on to something so much bigger than I ever imagined with skydiving and the whole journey I've been on with it. When I would go entire weekends without thinking about my phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was so ingrained in the community and the process. And yes, it was, you know, like it, it, Oh, it was of course overwhelming at first, like scare factor, but it was, I had never experienced anything like that since technology had really entered my life. And it completely removed it, removed me from it in a way that it was transformational. And yeah. I, th- it, and I think you're trying to bring awareness in the most beautiful way that like, look, you, you don't even know, like, this is a problem that you may not even be aware of, but it answers so many questions that you've been having about your life. Like, and that's why we have just been so excited to talk to you because your message needs to get out there. It is disrupting not only education, but technology and how mm-hmm. we can use it. And it's such a key, it's such a key tipping point that that you're on in order to kind of reimagine what our our integration and technology use can look like. And so thank you for, you know, having that epiphany, sharing (laughs) it and continuing on that journey because that's not easy. And I'm sure you've felt resistance on your journey and, and not everyone is going to be pro this message, especially the people potentially you're, you know, challenging, which can be big businesses. It is big business and um, to get people's attention, but I think good attention and wanted attention is so much better than just getting attention for attention's sake. And that is truly the, the, the message that you bring. And so, but I'm curious, Peter, like usually ask me kind of, you know, my final thoughts before we get some information from you, Josh and everything, but Peter, what are kind of some of your, you know, final thoughts and, and takeaways from this episode? Well, I'm going to plug in a couple of things, not just the conversation that we're having here, but I was privileged enough to work with Josh in a class. And I'm just going to say it and we'll get his information here. Right, Josh. But like to get this guy in a classroom, if you've ever seen a human not tell kids to put their phones away and look up, but just say something around what they're doing. I will tell you, Allie, 100% of my kids were looking up and like, wait, what? And questioning technology at that time. And I tell you, I've got some serious dopamine hunters in those classes. Serious. Like, I think they may have records on TikTok, you know, but of consuming, right? Not actually creating. Um, 
but you know i think the what i i like that too josh the way that you're like let's add on this is here to stay i remember years ago when i was at oak park river forest high school this was like when facebook came out this was when snapchat just started yes i'm aging myself a little bit but <laughs> i remember we had a conversation in a teaching you know group meeting where a couple of teachers were like, why are we not teaching this in class instead yeah. of just shoving it off to the side? And I think I really love the fact that, you know, helping young people understand that you were like shoved into this and you had no idea. And, yeah. and it's true. It really is true. Even parents like me, like my kids are like, yeah, hey, we want a phone. We want a phone. We want a phone. Right. And we held off as much as we could. But then there's no real place for young people to really hear the message that you bring until now. Yeah. Um, and that message is, and I love the the consume the, the three areas, right? The the you know you can be a creator, you know, you can be uh, a consumer, you can you know just basically cut it all off. But all those are okay. It's it's uh, now you're giving people a choice when they didn't realize they had a choice. And that's, that's, I think my biggest takeaway, Allie, is, you know, the way that Josh does this and I, you know, you're just at the beginning, which I love, um, but the way that he brings it to young people and even educators, it makes so much sense. It's not your run of the mill. Okay, let's build a box. Let's put the phone away. Let's, you know, cold turkey this thing, which there were times in his presentation, I was questioning. I was like. I don't know, man, like, really? Like, do I have to make a bunch of TikToks and do this? Which now, by the way, I'm on TikTok and yeah. I don't consume it though, yeah. right? Like I realize, and and here's the last thing I'll say is as we, I'm going through, and I do follow Josh on Instagram. Um, I don't really consume much TikTok. I actually create on TikTok, but I don't consume much. But on Instagram, I do. That's where I do most of my consumption. When I see your face, Josh, I, I know it's time to get off. <laughs> I know awful. it's time to create something else. Oh, to feel I, better. I don't even, I mean, I'll listen to the messages, but I'm yeah. like, there he is. Okay. Right. Um, so, so yeah, but uh, wow. amazing. Yeah. Amazing yeah. stuff. Really, that means so much to me, Peter. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's, those are some of my favorite comments to get as well as people, be, they will say something like that, you know, time to get off. Um, I think those are, I'm really glad that those points specifically have resonated with you because um, I would say you guys are also innovators as educators and thinkers who are interested in integrating this with the classroom, mm -hmm. accepting that it's part of the environment now. And so we got to figure out what to do with it, especially given, you know, it's not going to stop, right? We've got right. VR goggles coming, we've got meta. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, the Center for Humane Tech has a really interesting visual on their website, uh, which is this, this lever that could potentially change things, right? And with different solutions comprising that lever, where the most um, in, or the, the most effective ones are obviously on the outside and the less effective ones are on the inside. The most effective solution long-term to change, to turn the tide on this thing is a paradigm shift, a fundamental paradigm shift in the culture around how humans think about technology. So yes, we're going to need regulation and yes, we're going to need to rebuild the platforms and change our individual habits, all of the more granular stuff. That's absolutely a part of the process, mm -hmm. but what's happening in the most macro view of this thing 
as technology continues to develop in ways we honestly don't even understand, that paradigm shift, changing how we think about it, how we engage with it, what it means to us, um, like, you, like you've seen with yourself, um, that's going to be the, the most leverage we have. So that's what fires me up personally. I love that. So, all right, I'm going to just go ahead and say, if you are in education, get this guy in. Have him speak to you, have him speak to your teachers, your administrators, your community, and most importantly, your students. How do people reach you, Josh? Yeah, so um, best place is going to be on social media, honestly. Um, it's Josh Chuba, just my name, J-O-S-H-C-Z as in zebra, U-B as in boy, A, um, uh, on TikTok and Twitter. And then it's Josh.Chuba, spelled the same way, on Instagram. Um, on all of my social profiles is a link tree that will take you to everywhere else I might want you to go. Or you can just email me, joshchuba at gmail.com. I would love to be in touch. Um, I, you know, I believe in community. I think that that's, by the way, probably the next uh, archetype is the community builder. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of that, um, there, there's a lot of room for expansion there. But anyway, um, I, you know, I'd love to be in touch with everyone. I think the more people we can get involved in the conversation, the more we get towards that paradigm shift. And, you know, this is going to be a communal process. Um, it's a team sport. Hundred percent. I think this is one of the most innovative looks at actually social media, phone usage in schools. Um, I can't. I feel like I won the lottery. Like when you reached out and you were like, "Let's go." Um, and it is a sandbox, which I really love. Yeah. So you know, if you're not looking for a cookie cutter, you know, everything's going to be like kind of corporate. If you want somebody in there that's really doing the work digging into creating curating working uh within social media josh you're that guy and uh i highly highly recommend people um checking them out we'll put all your uh, connects down at the bottom old people like me can actually email you we're kind of like that you know no it's all good i'm on instagram too man come on <laughs> so but uh josh i want to thank you so much for hanging out with us today man uh really appreciate your message um and i know this is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners for Ali Privet and Josh Shuba, I'm Peter Hostrosser. want to thank everybody for hanging out with us on this episode of the Disrupt Education Podcast. We'll see you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Disrupt Education Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you ready to disrupt the educational arena you're a part of? For more ways to get involved in the work we do here at Disrupt Education, check us out at disrupteducation.co or find us on LinkedIn at Peter Hostrosser or Ali Privet. Our mission here is to help facilitate and amplify changes in the educational system through local initiatives and help you scale them into community movements. Our building network of disruptors in education are working to move beyond scores and grades as the only measure for student learning. If your school district, college, campus, or organization is looking for facilitators of this work, reach out on our website or social media. And if you have any thoughts or feedback on this week's episode or any episode, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep pushing the boundaries, taking risks, and most importantly, disrupting education.